Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing five financial to-dos before you retire. And then we'll talk about how to add real estate to your retirement portfolio. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Hey, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, Brian. Hope everybody listening to us is doing well today, too. Another fine show lined up for you, as always. Brian, aside from saving money in a 401k, what do you think people should do before their target retirement date, even if they're, let's say, years away from retirement? Yeah, there's a number of things I want to talk about today as it relates to that. And the first thing might be statistically, I believe it's over 50% of people. So whenever you have a statistics that starts with most people, then yeah. you might want to pay attention. That's, oh, <laughs> I, I might be most people. I'm, you know, so the most people stat here is that most people will need some care facility in their lifetime. Call that long-term care, whether it's long-term, short-term, but some kind of care in their lifetime. And so since that's over half, then that's something, okay, maybe I ought to think about that. But of course, when we're young and healthy, that's the last thing we want to think about. It's hard enough to, for a, you know, to get a 25-year-old to start putting money in their 401k plan. They're like, what's that? Oh, it's for your retirement. When's that? In your 60s. <laughs> Oh, you mean like a thousand years from now? Yeah, that's never <laughs> going to happen. Feels like. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I need to go out now. I need to have fun. I need to get the latest iPhone. I need to go on a trip. You got I it. need to spend that money. I need it. And like, okay. So even if you're wise enough to go, okay, I can put some money away into my 401k plan. Gosh, at least enough to get the match but uh, hopefully more in your early years. And then along comes Brian and says, well, have you thought about long-term care? I'm like, what? No, I haven't thought about long-term care. I'm 35 years old. Why would I think about that? Or 40 or whatever, 50. But the reality is, you know, if you're fortunate enough to live a long time, you got a better than 50% chance of needing some form of long-term care. So it's something to consider. Now, sometimes people say, well, I'll I'll deal with that after I retire. After I retire, then I'll start thinking about my retirement and what I want to do and where I want to invest. And maybe uh, I'll go, you know, apply for a long-term care policy when I'm close to needing it, maybe when I'm 70 or something. And like, well, I got news for you. There is a physical that has to happen. There's things, you know, you think about when you're 40 years old and how many times you've been to the doctor. Well, it wasn't a lot for me, you know, when I turn an ankle on the basketball court or whatever, you know, that was kind of it. But, uh, you know, you get in your 60s, you go, well, I've had some other things come up, you know, maybe nothing serious, but different things. And, and uh, you're on medications. And sometimes just being on a medication means you don't qualify for long-term care. They don't want to cover somebody that's maybe going to need it. They, they want to cover healthy people. Well, in your 30s and 40s and 50s, you're you know, maybe you're healthy and you can get a long-term care policy and maybe in your 70s, you're 
you feel okay, but there are some things that have come up and that may prevent you from qualifying for long-term care. So this is the one investment where, you know, most investments, it doesn't matter, you know, your physical shape, you can invest in it. Most investments, it doesn't matter your age. Some do. But when it comes to long-term care, your health record, your physicals, that kind of thing do matter. And if you wait too long, you may not be able to get it. So it's something to consider when you're younger as, you know, something you may want to do before you retire. And uh, I do want to talk about ways to fund a long-term care policy next. So, Brian, we've determined that really most of us are going to need long-term care at some point. So let's talk about how to pay for that. How do you self-insure or can you self-insure long-term care? You absolutely can self-insure long-term care. That starts generally with a financial plan. And so here's a scenario that I've seen many, many times where we'll do a financial plan. I say, well, how much you want to spend in retirement? And they'll, they'll tell me. And it's, you know, maybe it's a pretty significant amount of money. And they might say, well, does that work? And we look at it and go, yeah, yeah, you're, you're fine based on all, all of our assumptions. And then they'll say, what about long-term care? What if we one or both of us needs long-term care? And I say, well... Here's the deal about long-term care. If you need a full-on facility, and I'm, I'm not talking about just maybe you need part-time help or, or whatever in your home, but I'm talking about a nursing home. And let's just say that's 10000 a month. And you go, wow, where am I going to get ten th- an extra 10000 on top of my expenses? Well, I remind them that let's say that they had put down 20000 a month in expenses in retirement is what they were planning on. And they had plenty of income to do that. Well, if you're in a nursing home, you're probably not spending money on vacations and golfing, golf trips and doing all the things you, you wanted to do. It's one or the other. And so whether you're spending the 10000 on the nursing home or 10000 on your own expenses, kind of the same thing. So there's an example, you know, a real simple example of where it totally could self-insure because you're going to spend on one or the other. You don't need both. You're not going to be in a nursing home spending 10 k a month and traveling the world and going on cruises and golf trips and all that stuff with another 10 k a month. It's one or the other. Now, some people might look at it from this standpoint. They say, well, what if I just invest some money, put some money over here, invest it and get a nice growth on that over, say, 15, 20 years? And that would replace the amount that the long-term care policy would have provided had I needed it. I say, yes, that's another way to do it. So some people go, well, I think I'm going to be okay investing my money and doing it that way and building my own self-insurance fund, essentially, for potential long-term care. And that's a way to do it. Now, what that leaves out, like any insurance, if you don't buy it and you need it, you wish you had had it. So let's just say you did that and a year in you have a stroke or or something happens, you go, well, I didn't have my 15, 20 years I needed to create the the nest egg I needed for long-term care that I was planning on needing when I'm 80. It happened much sooner than I thought. I wish I'd bought that long-term care. So like any insurance, if you don't have it and need it, you wish you'd, you'd gotten it. So it's a tough calculation, I'll say, sometimes for us to do because we don't know. We don't know if you're going to need long-term care. And that's why the type of long-term care that, let's just say, you've done the calculations, you go, well, it's kind of can go either way. I, I could invest some money or I could just buy long-term care and not have to worry about it. And sometimes the spouse, you know, or one or both of you might go, you know what? I just would feel so much better. My peace of mind would go up dramatically if I knew 
we had long-term care insurance. And in the, if that's the case, then sometimes it's not about calculations on an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, but we could have another 2% internal rate of return if we, you know, if we invest it and it does X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, there's a lot of maybes and what ifs involved in that, that calculation there on that spreadsheet. So what if we just bought some long-term care? I had peace of mind and I won't have to bring it up or think about it. And so sometimes that's a good enough reason to get long-term care. And if you're going to get long-term care, one of the ways that makes it so much easier for people is, is something called an asset-based long-term mm-hmm. care plan. So, Brian, you've talked about self-insuring. Let's talk about some different ways that you can buy insurance to pay for long-term care. Yeah, well, we'll start with a traditional one. Uh, in the years past, you know, most long-term care insurance that was sold was a monthly amount. And the issue with that is that it was really cheap when you bought it. And you're like, oh, yeah, 100 bucks a month or whatever it is. That, that sounds pretty reasonable. I'll fund my long-term care for $1,200 a year. And you bought that when you, I'm just making up numbers here. Let's say you bought it when you're 40 or whatever. And then you get to 50s, 60s, and all of a sudden that, well, that $100 a month is no longer $100 a month. You know, it, it's gone up dramatically. And you're looking at that going, well, wait a second here. I'm in my 70s and my long-term care policy monthly bill has gone way up. And I can't even afford it anymore. So I'll have paid it into it all these years and I can't afford to keep it in case I need it. And if I need it, I've put so much money into it. I wish I hadn't done it in the first place. So that can be an issue. And and not to mention a big problem with that kind of plan, if you buy it early like that, is you better know your company that you're investing in because do you know they're going to be there in 40 years? Maybe not. And so that's something to consider. So uh, that monthly way isn't, in, I've, ne- I've never put anybody in one of those. Another one I wanted to expose here, though, would be sometimes there's annuity salespeople that say, oh, yeah, if you buy this annuity, you don't even need a physical, and they have a long-term care rider. And that makes you feel good and you know warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, I've got my long-term care handled. Great. I bought this annuity, so I have long-term care. And it's like, now, wait a second. Let's think about this. The insurance company is not going to provide 10000 a month clearly for you buying a a couple hundred thousand dollar annuity. That's just not going to happen. They didn't even ask you to do a physical. So what does that tell you? So one thing we have to understand about when you hear the term long-term care rider on an annuity, I know it makes you feel good, but the reality is generally that is just if you needed long-term care, they will accelerate the amount of money that you can take out of your annuity. It doesn't create this big old chunk of you know 120,000 a year or some big number out of nothing. And so accelerating your own money is very different from an insurance payment from an insurance company it has nothing to do with your own money. So be very careful if your long-term care plan is kind of based upon a long-term care rider with an annuity you were sold. Brian, you have said many times in this show, there is no such thing as a perfect investment. If I wanted long-term care insurance, what is your opinion as to the best way to go? Yeah, I've been kind of hammering long-term care insurance, and I'm going to say there there is one route you can go if that's what you want that has a lot of positives to it, I would say. And that route is what's called an asset-based long-term care policy. And that's where you take a chunk of money and you put it into the plan uh, one time. It's not a monthly thing. It's, it's an upfront kind of thing. 
And if you need long-term care someday, then they can pay you a multiple of the money that you put in. It's it's all tied to how much you invest. And uh, we can run an illustration to estimate what that might be. But one of the cool things about this particular one, unlike any other insurance that I'm aware of, when you pay the insurance and you never use it, and let's say you pass away, and I'll just use a number, 100 grand, your estate can get much or most of that 100 grand back. And so it's kind of insurance that, oh, you mean I get it back? My car insurance, if I pay them $10,000 this year and I don't get in an accident, I don't get any money back from that. Maybe they send me 40 bucks for a safe driver discount or something, but I don't get close to the 10000 back for sure. But with long-term care, you, you actually can. So really the cost of long-term care is just the opportunity cost of the, what that investment could have made. And this can be pretty popular, especially, again, with spouses. There might be one spouse that's saying, well, what if I got to take care of Fred here and we need the money coming in? I'd like to know I have long-term care in place and I'm willing to give up the opportunity on investment returns in exchange for knowing that most of that, and it doesn't have to cover the whole cost of it. Well, if Fred here needed long-term care, he's got pension money coming in, uh, income from the investments, we got Social Security. I really just need maybe 5000 to, to to have enough from his income in addition to long-term care to get there or whatever that number is. And so we can plan around that and imagine the peace of mind and kind of the cool thing about, gosh, if I don't use this, which, you know, hopefully I don't need to use long-term care. And if I don't, and when I pass away, uh, that money comes back to my spouse or to my estate. So that can be an awesome way to fund long-term care, get that peace of mind also. So uh, there's my good thing to say about long-term care in, in this segment. Brian, I think if our listeners are hearing this conversation today, they may have a few questions. So let me talk to them right now. If you're thinking about long-term care insurance or you're thinking about long-term care and how you're going to pay for that, you're looking at the options. I want you to stop right now. Don't do anything until you hear what we have to say today. If you need someone to help you make those decisions, to run the numbers for you, to do the calculations and figure out what the right answer is for you, I want you to call 833-673-7373 right now and ask for your Madrona analysis. Now, this Madrona analysis is going to cover long-term care insurance and how to pay for that, but also many other important things that you need to know before you you decide to retire. Again, you've got to have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. But if you do, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. Once again, that number 833-673-7373. If you're not sure you're making the right decision, or maybe you have gotten some advice from another advisor, you're not sure that that's the right advice, and you really want to cover your bases a little bit, you really should request this analysis because there's no cost to it. There is absolutely no obligation obligation whatsoever. So do it today, even though it's not during business hours right now, our phone lines are open. 833-673-7373 and ask for your complimentary Madrona analysis. And remember, this one call could make all the difference. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial. We're talking about some to-dos before you retire. And of course, we've talked about long-term care. Next one here, Brian, I want you to talk about is your risk tolerance and whether or not it goes down as you get closer towards retirement. Yeah, that's a big one because we talk about it on the show a lot. There's five things investments can do. They can grow, which means they can lose money. It can be secure, uh, provide cash flow, liquidity, or tax savings. 
And so the question between growth and, and security, both are good. I want both, but I can't have them both with the same investments. And so that's a thing you have to consider. So certainly when I talk about these two areas, growth and security, uh, they kind of go head to head and compete with each other. And so in my 30s and 40s and 50s, I'm, maybe I'm thinking growth, 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 because I'm working. If we have a bad year in the market, no big deal. It'll come back later and, and I've got time on my side. And so that's been a great strategy for younger people. But when you're nearing retirement, it's probably the most critical time because maybe you've done a plan and you say, oh, it looks like I'll be okay. I'll be able to spend what I want to spend to live the life I want to live. But you're all in the market. And I could throw out a whole bunch of years where the next year, I won't even do this, but I can. The next year, the market crashed. And then you're starting out pulling money out of a portfolio that's down significantly from your calculations. And now the nerves start kicking in. And now that it's down, you go, oh, maybe I should move it to secure stuff. And then you miss the recovery. Or maybe you don't move it to secure stuff and you write it out because, oh, it'll, it'll come back next year. And it doesn't. Oh, what about next year? And it didn't. You know, I've, I've seen this in my career. It can happen. And uh, if anybody has a crystal ball, uh, I'd like to buy it from you. Uh, please, I'll, I'll give you a lot of money. Yeah. You tell me when the market crashes are going to happen, yeah. how devastating they're going to be, how long they're going to be. Are they a single year? Are they a decade? Are they What are they? When are they? What's going to happen? What's going to be world turmoil? What's going to happen with our national debt? Is that going to be uh, a problem? Mm. What's going to happen when Social Security isn't fully funded? What's going to happen with China and Russia and North Korea? What's going to happen with a million things I could say on this radio. If you know all that, please let me know. But I don't. <laughs> I will admit that. I do not know. So I do know that to help with the situations if they do occur, these negative financial events or, or time periods, that uh, we want to lower our risk uh, to have true diversity outside of just stocks and bonds to do that, uh, especially as we get close to retirement and we're trying to live the life we want to live, do you want that at risk? And so as you're getting close to retirement, that would be a great time to start adjusting or understanding what's in your portfolio and what would happen under various scenarios. And I think the amazing Kreskin uh, Brian is still alive so if he's listening to the program today yeah. he was big in the 70s as a mentalist but uh, hey Kreskin if you're listening to the program give us a call because we need to know what's going on here in the future I'm, I'm still Jeff I'm still waiting for that I, I ordered one on Amazon Prime but did you but, uh, I, I still haven't got my crystal ball I, I, I'm, I'm still waiting for that to arrive. Yeah, I actually did order one Brian and I got it it's, it takes batteries but I tell you it, it just doesn't work they're fun to put on the yeah. shelf but you really can't look into a crystal ball and get any sort of answers. I think the experience that you have and the knowledge that you have is more what you need to help people get their guidance in this particular area. Brian, what are some of the other risks that we need to be prepared for? Yeah, we don't know what investments are going to do, but we do know about taxes. So I want to talk about tax rates for a moment. We know that in less than two years, a whole bunch of tax cuts are going to expire. So I already know that. And so we need to be mindful of which tax buckets we are funding and taking money from in our retirement and when and how that affects our overall tax situation. And so that's a huge area, uh, something we're able to really help people with since we have a CPA firm and we can run these scenarios, what if scenarios, and we understand the logic behind making sure that we max out the lowest tax brackets at the expense of not paying taxes, the highest tax brackets. So one example of this is, you know, I might 
get somebody that comes to me and they say, well, here's my retirement portfolio. And I'll say, okay, let's say it's $2 million and it's all in qualified funds, all 401k IRA type and nothing in anything else. And they're like, okay, you're the big tax planner. What can you do? And I'm like, well, not a whole lot. You need what you need to live on. You're going to pull it out. You're going to pay taxes on it. And that's kind of it. I don't really have any different buckets to pull from. But most people have different buckets. The different buckets, I might say, you have your pre-tax account. I'll break that into pre-tax accounts that have gain associated with them, capital gain, and pre-tax that do not. So you have different buckets to, to pull from. So some of my clients will come to me and they, they have really four different buckets. They have their pre-tax, you know, their qualified accounts, as I just mentioned. They have their after-tax accounts. And those can be divided into after-tax accounts that have gains associated with them, like capital gains, which is a different rate than the qualified accounts. And then uh, they have money that maybe doesn't have capital gains, which doesn't have any tax associated when you take it out. And then finally, tax-free accounts. So Roth accounts, we'll, we'll say for that. So if I have those different buckets to pull from, boy, the, the tax planning opportunities really increase quite a bit. So, Brian, beyond the expiration of the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, are there other tax timelines that we need to be aware of? Yeah, there's things that we actually know about. Uh, the rule of 55. So let's say you're a high income earner. Maybe you work at a tech company and you, you decide you want to retire early, but you're going, where am I going to get my cash flow? I've got all this money tied up in my 401k and I can't take it out without a penalty. Well, you can. You can use uh, something called the rule of 55 and we can help you with that. At 59 and a half, that's another one we know about. You can roll money out of an active 401k plan into an IRA and take control and get into investment categories that aren't available in your 401k plan. So that's another one. And you can start taking money out of your qualified accounts without penalty. There's uh, when do I start Social Security? When does my spouse start Social Security? There's that discussion we can have with somebody. We know about those rules. Age 65, Medicare. How are you going to fund insurance and medical insurance before age 65? What does that look like? What about Medicare supplements and what does that cost? And what does IRMA look like? You know, where you might have an opportunity to or a situation where you're going to lose a lot of your Social Security through an increase in Medicare costs planning around that. And finally, age uh, 72, requiring minimum distributions or age 73 or whatever it is in the year that you plan on retiring. And so that's another discussion point. So there's a whole bunch of things we absolutely know about. They're containing the tax code, but they certainly uh, have a lot to do with your investment strategies. And Brian, I think another big risk that uh, people should consider is, I mean, just take a look at how much you've got saved. If you don't have saved enough, I mean, that is going to be a big, big risk that you need to address and very well could affect your timeline on retirement. Yeah, that is a conversation we certainly go over with our financial plans. But, you know, the conversation I seem to have more of is you have saved enough for retirement, but you're not spending it because I still have my 70-something-year-old clients, even my 80-something-year-old clients calling me going, well, can I put more money away? I'm like, why? Uh, What should I do with this extra money I have? Spend it. I always tell them, spend it. And they're like, what? Don't I need it? I'm like, no, I don't think so. We've done your plan. You've got plenty of excess assets. So it's interesting that that is a big part of the conversation. Uh, uh, maybe money isn't spending money doesn't help you live the life you want to live but if it does uh, definitely and you have enough we can allow ourselves to spend money a lot of us are good at saving and not so good at spending and Brian I'm going to add another risk here and that is the risk of missing an opportunity because you just didn't know 
So if you're listening to the program today, you're just not sure about the risk that you're facing in retirement and you want some answers, we're offering it to you right now by calling 833-673-7373 and asking for your Madrona analysis. Again, no cost, no obligation for this. You can call right now if you want 833-673-7373 and request your complimentary Madrona analysis. It's not going to cost you a dime. You must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets. And if you do qualify, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. This is your opportunity to find out whether or not you're on track for retirement and whether or not there are some risks in your future that you need to mitigate right now. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. Make that call because it could make all the difference. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. My name's Jeff Shade, and we just finished discussing five financial to-dos before you retire. If you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break, Brian. When we come back, we'll be talking about how to add real estate to your retirement portfolio and more. Stay tuned. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to Growing Your Wealth. I'm Brian Evans, CEO and President of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this next segment, we'll be talking about how to add real estate to your retirement portfolio. Brian, you know, not all of us are cut out to be landlords. If we wanted to diversify assets in the real estate market without worrying about tenants, toilets, trash, and so forth, how would we go about doing that? Yeah, we're going to talk about various types of investments in real estate in this segment. And if you are a landlord and like being a landlord, you still listen in because I've got a lot of tips for you because we may like being a landlord when we're 40 and when we're 50, we may not like being a landlord when we're 70 or 80. So things can change in your lifetime. And so real estate is one of those big categories that is rarely talked about on the radio and from what I've seen and, and written about by financial planners are talking about stocks and bonds and CDs and annuities a lot, maybe long-term care, but there's a lot of asset classes that don't get talked about very much. And last time I checked, the value of investment real estate in the United States is a really, really, really big number, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I mean, super huge. So it seems like it's worthy of an investment conversation from different angles. So how would we do it? So I'm going to kind of go down a list of, of different kinds of real estate that we may consider. One of the things that I've been talking about of recent years that I didn't talk about 10 or 20 years ago is short-term rentals. So I've got clients that are like, well, maybe I'll just buy a VRBO or something like that and I rent it out and it'll cover my mortgage and all this stuff. And I always kind of challenge them a little bit on that. Have you done the math, the real math? Mm-hmm. Well, the person, I, my realtor says it'll work out great. And I'm sure they do. But let's do the real math on this because there can be very high fees associated with that. Lots of maintenance, lots of decisions to make. You got a different tenant. It's like running a hotel. Every week, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This is not for everybody. This is high touch. And some people are okay with that. Some people have people stay in their own house. Don't sign me up for that one. No, thank you. But, you know, (laughs) some people, that's okay. But be very careful about the hidden expenses. I mean, the management fees on these can be very high. 
You're not going to rent it out uh, probably every day of the year, so consider that kind of thing. But recently, the big issue I have noticed is that zoning changes have been happening oh, where yeah. a lot of people own these properties, and they thought they were, you know, buying one thing and they, they have something else. They thought they were buying something, you know, okay, it's it's maybe covering a good chunk of their mortgage and it's working out okay. What they changed the zoning? I can't do it anymore at all. Well, guess what? The value of the houses and all the different houses around you that were trying to do the same thing just plummeted. And so you're taking a lot of risk with that. So unless you're return, and it's tough to get positive cash flow from any short-term rental. So there are some definite red flags. I'm not saying not to do it or to do it, but there are a lot of red flags you got to cover. So we don't offer that to our clients. We have different ways to get into real estate that are certainly a lot less maintenance. Okay, so those are short-term rentals, and we call those verbos today, uh, people who maybe want to stay in your home or stay in a house instead of going to a hotel. As you said, they can have some real pitfalls, and I think you really have to think like an accountant when we evaluate these things, so keep that in mind as we go on to the next one, and that would be long-term rentals, and I'm talking about you know owning residential real estate, apartment homes, things like that, or also even commercial real estate. Yeah, long-term rentals, we do a lot of work in this area. And the work that we do has has to do with helping people basically move on from, have a a landlord's uh, exit strategy, a retirement strategy for for landlords, essentially. And so long-term rentals can be a wonderful investment. I've had a lot of clients build their retirement portfolio through long-term rentals. Uh, They're landlords for, again, their 40s, 50s, or maybe even their 60s and so forth. And the property values have gone way up. It's provided some cash flow and it's done what it was supposed to do but there comes a point in people's lives where I wanted to do something else mm-hmm. I want the freedom to do what I want to do I want the freedom not to deal with tenants and trash and toilets and taxes and changes in laws for landlords which is happening a lot in certain areas and all the issues deferred maintenance is a big one uh, yeah I've been doing okay on my cash flow do you have any expenses coming up oh yeah I got to do a new roof or it's a if it's a building I got to elevate how much is that? I don't even want to think about it. HVAC system, ooh, how much is that? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. And so, you know, that could drain five, ten years of your cash flow out, just, just replacing something that's that's just old and worn out. And so there's a lot of a lot of reasons that people will, will decide, I'm kind of done with the landlording business. Is there a way to get out tax-free? Is there a way to, to replace my cash flow? Is there a way to really do what you're saying, Brian? Absolutely. We've done nearly $200 million of 1031 exchanges where people will sell their investment real estate and reinvest into passive real estate where some institutional real estate manager is managing the property and you don't have to deal with it at all. You're eligible for your share of, you, have, you own a fractional share of, of different kinds of real estate and you get checks monthly based on your share of the rents essentially. And it qualifies for 1031 exchange. It's called a Delaware Statutory Trust. That's just a fancy name for real estate that qualifies, passive real estate that qualifies for 1031 exchange. It's really the only way I know of you can do it. Uh, you can't exchange into a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust. You can't 1031 exchange into an LLC or an S-Corp or, or any other form of entity except for the Delaware Statutory Trust. 
And so we do a lot of those. One of the other advantages besides participating in any underlying appreciation, getting your rental income checks, uh, not having to deal with tenants because someone else is doing that for you. The sponsor of these, the institutional real estate uh, manager, can never call you for a capital call for deferred maintenance. They had to set that up as a reserve up front. So you never get that call, which is great for a lot of people. And uh, of course, it defers the tax. And eventually, you potentially could eliminate the tax through the step up in basis. So I I don't have time to get into all the nuances of it. But if you own uh, investment real estate, whether it's rental houses or uh, commercial type uh, real estate, and are thinking about a plan to, you know, kind of an exit strategy someday for that, these can be a a wonderful way to do that. There's reasons you wouldn't do it. We'll we'll go over those too if we we talk to you about it. But uh, long-term rentals, uh, again, has been a wonderful asset for a lot of my clients. And then the transition to a passive real estate portfolio that's diversified in many different asset classes can be a wonderful segue when the time is right in your retirement plan. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing to that conversation. And you said if you're thinking about it, and I think that's a very good point too, is that there are timelines. You can't just sell it and then do a 1031 exchange into a Delaware statutory trust. So I'll just say this, time is of the essence. And if you're even thinking about it, ask us about the Delaware Statutory Trust and 1031 Exchange, because if you go ahead and sell your investment real estate, then come to Brian, you can't do a Delaware Statutory Trust. But of course, we'll cover more about that later. Yeah, Jeff, I wanted to mention that a lot of my discussions with DSTs are not about, hey, I'm getting ready to list my property. They are five-year or 10-year plans. I mean, I'm talking to people years in advance of them actually selling or listing their property. So it's okay to have that conversation. So I want to assure people we're not going to say, oh, I can't talk to you unless you're going to list it this year and I can get, you know, make some money off this or something like that. It's not what this is about. We do lifetime financial planning for people. So again, if if you're not even thinking about selling in the next year or two, but you, you know there'll come a time, why not get that information? We can share that with you and help you at least uh, you know, have a starting point to understanding what your options are and what they might look like so you can better plan for the future. Yeah, if you're an active landlord, I think we call this an exit strategy, and it can be a good one for you. The next type of real estate I want to talk about, Brian, is interesting. I haven't really heard a lot about this, but it's farmland. And it occurs to me that there are a lot of people out there who may have farms or may want to buy farms. That's where the food comes from. I never really considered farmland when I thought about real estate investment. Yeah, farmland is a huge area in real estate investing in this country. I actually have a webinar created for uh, farmers and their exit strategy from that. Uh, There's a lot of nuances that are different for people that own farms as opposed to regular commercial real estate. Because with farms, it's usually a generational kind of thing. And it's been passed down generation to generation to generation. But we are now in a time where a lot of that has stopped. It's run into a brick wall. Great grandpa was a farmer, grandpa was a farmer, dad is a farmer. I'm a software tech in Silicon Valley or you know, in somewhere else. So I don't want to farm. Uh-oh, we got a problem. So even if you lease the property and you're not actively farming and dad's leasing the property, you're saying, well, I'm a tech exec. I know nothing about soybeans or, or wheat or how much I should be charging or or you know all the all the nuances of that and so forth and I, you know maybe you don't want to be part of that so I have helped people that don't have that generational transfer. And even if you do have that generational transfer, sometimes you got to provide for your own retirement if you're the owner of that farm. And maybe you want to sell it to uh, your family members. Uh, Maybe it's to 
key employees there and so forth. And, and we got to get the financing right. Do we in, involve an SBA loan? Because usually they don't have the money just to cash you out. So there's, you know, things with that. There's a lot of corporate buyers out there now. There, there didn't used to be even five years ago. And so a lot of consolidation is happening in the farm industry. Prices are high, so people are getting good offers. Talking about your options there, again, farmland qualifies for the 1031 mm-hmm. exchange uh, into a Delaware statutory trust, as I was just mentioning. So that's another big area that can be available that you probably haven't even heard of if you're a farmer or you own a farm and you're thinking about selling. It's like, well, how come my advisors never brought that up? My CPA didn't bring it up and the realtor didn't bring it up and the business broker didn't bring it up. And that's absolutely uh, very common. And so we would love to have that discussion with you so you know some of your options. But we do have a webinar on that I recorded on transitioning for a farm. And Brian, if our listeners want that video, simply email us at plan at madronafinancial.com. That's plan at madronafinancial.com, and we will send that video to you. Brian, if uh, our listeners are looking for more liquidity in their real estate, why couldn't they just buy a real estate ETF, exchange-traded fund? Well, they can. I mean, certainly exchange-traded funds or publicly traded REITs, uh, maybe mutual fund of of real estate, and you can buy the, you know, a lot of people like to index, so they'll, they'll go to Vanguard or somebody like that and buy the index. And so if you bought the index of real estate, an interesting thing occurs. You look at that and compare it to the market and you go, wow, real estate doesn't look that awesome over the last five years, whereas a lot of people made a lot of money in real estate. And you're going, scratching your head going, well, why is that? Why hasn't this fund done better? And we're talking about publicly traded real estate. And part of the reason is, is any index is going to buy across all asset classes within that index. And so the S&P 500, for instance, buys 500 companies. It overweights the tech companies, so it's done well of late. Whereas a real estate index is buying all different kinds of real estate, including our favorites, I'm kidding, office buildings, (laughs) (laughs) post-COVID, shopping centers, retail, movie theaters, whatever. I could put a lot of them out there. You go, oh, those don't sound too good. Uh, No, they didn't do good at all, and they're not going to do well, in my opinion. And so we have to be very careful about uh, understanding all the different asset classes that are out there. So there are targeted real estate, publicly traded real estate ETFs that may be targeted to a certain kind of asset class. And you say, so you can maybe buy what you want if you know which ones to, you want, which most people would not. But even with that, there's a couple of issues with publicly traded ETFs and mutual funds in real estate. One is you're buying uh, a lot of these ETFs and mutual funds have been around a very long time. So you're buying a lot of very old properties. You're buying into a group of properties that have been purchased and held for a very long time. You might have a lot of deferred maintenance. Maybe they aren't in the areas you want them to be. You know, if they were buying them 30 years ago, maybe they're in the mid, you know, upper Midwest or, or Northeast and you're going, well, I want to be in the Southeast now. I want to be, you know, in the Southwest. I want to be where people are moving and they may, may not be positioned there. The other big issue happened uh, and I saw it huge in a couple of years ago when a market was going poorly and people were pulling money out of funds. Well, when it comes to real estate ETS and you and somebody's pulling money out, they've got to fund that, uh, the Vanguard or whoever it is that's running that fund, got to come up with the cash in three days. Do you know how hard it is to come up with cash when your underlying real estate, you know, your underlying investment is real estate in three days? Pretty hard to do. So when there is a kind of a run on a real estate fund, that can create a big problem for the valuations. The selling uh, overtakes 
the demand on the buy side and prices fall and they did and they fell pretty dramatically for uh, many of the public traded REITs because of liquidity and not because they had liquidity. That was the problem. With real estate, you don't want too much liquidity because other investors can pull out and they want their money right away. And you're going, well, I want to hang on and, and ride this out. And they don't. So they get cashed out and you don't and your value falls. So there are a lot of issues potentially with publicly traded REITs and real estate that uh, maybe can avoided, be avoided with uh, different kinds of private non-traded REITs that have limitations on the liquidity. Brian, this has been an interesting conversation here about real estate, and I'm sure that it has sparked some interest from some of our listeners there who may have some questions about whether or not real estate is right for them. So if you're one of those people who maybe doesn't understand the real estate market, but you want to find out more, you're really asking yourself, is real estate as safe an investment as I think it is? How risky is this? Would it fit into my portfolio? You've got questions. We've got answers here at Madrona Financial. How do you get those answers? Right now, you call 833-673-7373 and request your complimentary Madrona analysis. And this analysis, among other things, will include real estate if you wish. It's an opportunity for you to ask the questions that you need to make the best decision based on your individual wants and needs. Now, again, this is not going to cost you a dime, but it could make all the difference in your retirement planning, which may or may not involve real estate. 833-673-7373 is the number. You can call it right now. Phone lines are open to request this analysis. Now, you must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. And if you do, we'll send you out Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. So make that call right now while you're thinking about it. Phone lines are open, 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. And remember, this one call could make all the difference. Brian, you talked about liquidity as far as publicly traded REITs go. Are you saying that privately traded REITs is the way to go? Well, we never say anything's the way to go on this show. Thanks for asking it that way because uh, SEC doesn't like that because I don't yeah, know you right. yet. That's right. That's right. But we uh, definitely will look at that for our clients. Some of the advantages of privately traded REITs over publicly traded REITs is a disadvantage, which sounds kind of weird. Uh, you just said you don't like liquidity. Isn't liquidity always a good thing? And I'm here to tell you no. Most of your best investments are illiquid. Your principal residence, your business, your long-term investments, they aren't what you would consider something, oh, I'm going to go to the store and buy some money. I think I'll take some money out of my house or my business. You know, you, you don't sell some of it to buy something, to buy a car or something like that. They're illiquid for a reason. Those are the types of investments that tend to do the best in our lifetime. And so it's the same thing with private non-traded REITs. These are not short-term investments. A public trader REIT, you could buy on Monday and sell on Friday and buy again on the following Wednesday. Or, right. You know, you can do that all day long. You can't do that with private non-traded REITs. They have limitations of liquidity, which, by the way, helped us recently when there was a run on real estate because they have limitations. They didn't have to go out and do a fire sale of real estate and take what they want at the worst time. They were able to just ride that stuff out for the most part. 
Now, some of the, the vetting that we do, uh, it's hugely important, real estate especially, is what kind of real estate and where it's at. The geography and the, the type, certainly with the sponsors, some are good and some aren't good. Sometimes you're looking at information that's just plain wrong. I remember uh, doing some vetting of some real estate, uh, private real estate holdings, and they were saying what their cash flow was. And I'm always, boy, I'm an accountant by trade, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, this is my 40th year, Jeff, of well, being congratulations. public accounting. Thank you. <laughs> uh, just says I'm old. But I started when I was eight, though. So I, yeah, I got it. No, just I a wish. kid. You were a prodigy. Yeah, I was a prodigy. I was, but I didn't start when I was eight. But anyway, so I'm looking at this and they, they mentioned the cash flow and it initially, you know, right away, bells go off. Cash flow is not the same as income coverage. And so income coverage means after paying expenses, we have X percent that we can distribute. That's what we've earned. As opposed to cash flow, it can be any amount because I can take cash flow from reserves to prop it up uh, and, and manipulate that number. I can borrow money and add it to cash flow. I can do all kinds of things to create cash flow in the short term. But that's not going to persevere unless it's actually net operating income from the investments. So already I'm probably getting some people going in real estate going, oh, wait a second. Yeah, that's, boy, that makes a lot of sense. So a little bait and switch going on out there. Yeah, there's some bait and switch in my industry. And and so you need somebody that actually knows, you know, I used to prepare audited financial statements for a living. I know how to read one. And so, you know, it's important to, to look behind the numbers. Uh, just nerded out a little bit there on some of the things we look at. I, I could do a whole hour. On, probably on, on things we look at with related to uh, real estate, but it's super important to have a proper vetting system for the diversified uh, real estate part of your portfolio. And Brian, you touched on something there that is rather interesting is a lot of, uh, you know, active landlords really truly misunderstand their return on investment. I mean, they'll tell you they're getting 10%, but by the time you look at it from a CPA standpoint and you look at all their expenses, things that they never considered and you drill it all down, it's not uncommon, is it, for 10% to become 1% to 2%? Absolutely, Jeff. I don't think I've ever in my career asked somebody what their net operating income from their real estate was and had them underestimate what it actually truly was. It's always overestimated in my experience. And so when I say overestimated, if they paid a hundred grand for it and it's worth a million now, and I say, well, what's your return? They'll say 10%. And how'd you get that? Well, I charge $10,000 a year in rent. I'm like, well, you're taking your gross rents divided by what you paid for. That's not how you do it. You take your net rents after expenses divided by what it's worth today. And they go, oh, well, that's that's not very much at all. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, exactly. And so we can do that analysis from uh, Schedule E, page one. Do the analysis, uh, get your net operating income, add back depreciation, which is a non-cash expense on your Schedule E. And then we also want to talk to you about deferred maintenance. As I mentioned earlier in the show, you may say, well, my cash flow is okay. You know, it's not too bad. But I have some expenses coming up. And I said, well, how many years of cash flow is that going to drain from you? And they might say, two, three, five, <laughs> ten. I'm like, okay, do you really want a non-performing uh, asset that's going to actually be something you have to feed money or is not even going to make any money over the next five to ten years because of deferred maintenance? And uh, obviously, uh, well, no, that's not an ideal retirement asset in my portfolio. 
Would you like to take the equity out and do a 1031 exchange into passive real estate and then uh, get positive cash flow on a monthly basis, not pay any income tax on the sale, potentially leave it to your spouse or heirs income tax free through the step up and basis, never get a capital call for deferred maintenance. Uh, how's that sound? Oh, and diversify the assets into classes that you chose in parts of the country that you want to invest in. So, you know, so when, when you put it that way, it's like, oh, okay, Brian. Yeah, I would like my cash flow to maybe uh, often it would go up with with these, sometimes not. And we'll tell you when it makes sense, when it doesn't. But those are some of the attributes of potentially with 1031 exchanges using Delaware statutory trusts. And uh, Brian, for active landlords, I do want to point out that some of the things that cause 10% to become 2% are things like, you know, maybe in neighborhood changes. You bought this 30 years ago. It was a great neighborhood. But then all of a sudden, these houses and apartment complex, these beautiful places going up in the suburbs. And now your neighborhood is not that desirable. And as you said, you've got repairs, you've got legal costs, you've got taxes, you've got vacancies. There are just so many things that you don't consider so yeah not just neighborhoods jeff what about the type of real estate and where it's at exactly uh, yeah. you, you bought it in a place that was growing and now it's not uh people are leaving mm-hmm. that, right. that area that's right i see that uh in in various places a lot of people are leaving california to go to utah a lot of people are leaving seattle to go anywhere else, you know <laughs> anywhere Idaho, <else>? wherever <laughs> yeah and and so i see a lot of that the type of real estate you're in. I used to own an office building, the office building I'm in. I got smart. I sold it after COVID hit. I'm like, wow, nobody's showing up at work. I don't want to own an office building long term. And so I sold it. And so that was, you know, sometimes the type of real estate you have isn't what you think is going to be awesome the next 5, 10, 15 years. So what a great opportunity to, you could sell, literally sell an office building and reinvest into multiple different types of property in different parts of the country to diversify your portfolio using the Delaware Statutory Trust. And Brian, I know that new people join us here every few minutes or so, so I do want to, again, talk a little bit about that Delaware Statutory Trust. You've called that an exit strategy. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, it's an exit strategy for landlords. Typically, the people that do that, and let me get into a couple of reasons why you would not do a DST. One is that if you're making money in real estate and you're building your, your empire and all that, and you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever, Keep doing what you're doing. This is an exit strategy. And so typically we're thinking retirement age, whether that's 60s. I've done it for people in their 50s, certainly, and 60s and certainly 70s and 80s. And so it's a retirement strategy for landlords is is definitely one. Another reason you would not do one is we're doing a 1031 exchange, which means you're deferring gain. Well, let's just say your gains aren't very big in your real estate. You probably wouldn't bother with going through this step. Another one is you need the liquidity. I mentioned earlier, illiquid real estate beats liquid real estate, in my opinion. And so these are illiquid for a number of years, up to 10 years. And so if you need the cash, then pay the tax. Uh, Sell your real estate, take the money out and pay the tax if you need the cash. The only other reason I can think of somebody would not want to that's in the right age bracket and lifestyle bracket is they don't know what else they do with their time. There's just some people I know that uh, real estate is their life. They like changing toilets, doing all that stuff. So, you know, it gives them something to do, gives them purpose. So, okay, keep doing what you're doing. You're not ready to do a DST. Although those people often say, well, I'm 72 and I still like doing it, but in five or 10 years, Brian, I'll come see you and, and we'll do a DST then. So those are reasons not to do a DST. 
So, Brian, why is it that when some people talk to their financial advisor and they say, I've got this real estate, what should I do with it? Maybe (laughs) another financial advisor says, you should sell it right away and then bring me the money. Yeah, you should sell it, pay the tax, bring me the money. I'll put right. it in a 60-40 stock bond split and annuities. I'm like, okay, well, um, Brian sounds a little more interesting. I, I could do the same thing, by the way. You know, we do stocks and bonds, annuities and DSTs. And, well, we also do fixed index universal life. We also do opportunity zone investments, buffered ETFs, structured notes, and, and private non-traded equity REITs and credit funds and private equity. We, we kind of do a, a lot of stuff here along with the CPA firm uh, that we do and estate tax planning and everything. And so I think that the advantage is that we're not trying to push one thing, you know, because we can do anything. I, you know, I just, we're just trying to get the right answer for you and what your life looks like. So uh, if we can help you transition your successful real estate portfolio into a successful retirement and cash flow strategy in retirement and tax strategy and legacy strategy, et cetera, you know, diversification strategy, gosh, shouldn't we have that discussion? Uh, uh, like I said, we've done a lot of that because it does make sense for a lot of people and for for a lot of people, it does not make sense. So let's just have that discussion. Ask the questions. We'll answer them. We know which questions to answer if you don't. And so uh, have us take a look at that and have that discussion. Well, Brian, as always, I'm very impressed by the conversations that we have because they're like no other. And on today's show, of course, we've been talking about five financial to-dos before you retire. Also, how to add real estate to your retirement portfolio. If you've missed any part of the program today, remember, we are also a podcast and all of our past shows are on that podcast platform, wherever you find your favorite podcast, as well as weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your journey towards a successful retirement. Brian, unfortunately, we're out of time for this week, but I do want to thank you for your time. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. Have a great weekend. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your own individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation, and diversification guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. DSD investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliate entities. Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc. PC. Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans. Evans.